Hello and welcome back to Parallel Passion. First off, I'd like to sincerely thank everyone who continues to support this show on Patreon. You're the best. If you wish to join these awesome people, go to patreon.com slash or follow the link in the show notes. Thank you so much. Today I'm joined by Rodolyub Petrovich. He'll tell you he has no hobbies, yet I think he's the perfect guest for this podcast because, if anything, he's passionate. About basketball, about politics, about raising kids, about managing teams, just about everything. Now, he is Serbian, so with passion come curse words. If that sort of thing offends you, feel free to skip the episode. And if not, you're in for a real treat. Here's Rod. Hi Rod, welcome to Parallel Passion. Hi Miha. How are you? Not bad at all. <laughs> so, um, why, don't you, why don't you tell us uh, who are you and uh, what do you do? Uh, so I am, my name is Rodolup, which is not uh, a name that anybody actually uses when they are trying to call my name. So everybody calls me Rod most of the time for obvious reasons. Uh, I am head of software at Turtle. Uh, I lead a team of engineers and actually uh, I'm also responsible for the product. Um, and basically throughout my career, I've been doing something similar. So in the past, I've been CTO, VP of usually a startup where we start from scratch and then we build something. And a few times we were successful, uh, a few times we were not successful, and sometimes we were very successful, which was kind of nice. Uh, so this seems to be how I would describe my career. Other than that, I live in Slovenia, though I'm not Slovenian. I'm originally from Belgrade, Serbia, uh, so I didn't go far, but... Uh, <laughs> Slovenia seems to be just what my family needs, and I really, really like it. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that would summarize me. I'm afraid there, there's no um, a, a bit more audacious thing I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I've read a, um, a very interesting story you had this morning on on Twitter. Um, what what happened to your phone? Yes, uh, so as I was uh, entering my car, my four-year-old iPhone, God bless him, <laughs> uh, fell out of my pocket and uh, it stayed on the pavement and I actually ran it over with my car and then it stayed there for another two hours and I found it just as I was pulling back into my driveway and uh, then I, the first thing I did obviously as I picked it up is I tweeted about this experience <laughs> and uh, this phone has been through a lot with me let me tell you like this is definitely not the first time it felt on the cold hard surface and <laughs> and as i mentioned i also have kids and they are torturing this phone daily as well and i'm really amazed by the uh chuck norris level uh, <laughs> endurance of iphone 6s and I actually had to promise that my next phone is going to be iPhone as well, even though I'm not excited about new iPhones at all. But I made that promise just because of this uh, God-given phone <laughs> <laughs> that refuses to die. Uh, yeah. And also, I always want to m make a point of saying uh, it has no additional protection. So I, I don't use uh, any of those, uh, how do you call those? Uh, Cases cases and wraps and whatever no nothing like it's uh just the way i bought it it's crashed as hell but it works 
perfectly you know yeah it's it's incredible because like especially with the like newest ones with all glass like they tend to do break a lot but apparently yours is just one of a kind <laughs> maybe you'll buy the new one and will immediately crack <laughs> yeah probably that would be my luck but <laughs> uh, actually i decided not to buy a new one until this one falls apart but it refuses to fall apart. So maybe, you know, when I'm retired, I will still have it. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of Twitter, I want to address something that, um, like, you went on a sort of like a, a storm uh, recently, not that long, like a couple of days ago, um, about how Twitter is getting all this, like, a Facebook is facebookization i think is what you call it yeah facebookization yeah yeah and uh and and you went on the extreme end of just like i'm following everybody and like following via lists yes um yeah it, and i mean sure it has only been a few days but uh does it make a difference for you is it is it better now yeah so it's only been one day to be honest but so far so good uh we'll see uh, the the problem is is that i've been thinking about this for, for months and months. Like this wasn't just a one-off decision that happened mm -hmm. on an idle Tuesday. Um, so the, the problem is, is I used to love Twitter and I still get a lot of benefit from Twitter. Unlike, for example, Facebook. And I, I haven't been on Facebook for ages. I deleted my account uh, years and years ago. I think it was six or seven years ago. Uh, and uh, I don't miss Facebook. Uh, but Twitter, I would miss. I think I'm getting a lot of benefit from it. Uh, and I'm getting the benefit because it's a two-way street. I get to uh, see what other people are thinking about, what they know and I don't, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And this micro format, which is easy to catch up with. So I always like this because, um, you know, I follow on average about 300 people. And these people don't tweet nonstop. You know, so most of them actually tweet very little. So basically, I, I needed like 15 minutes per day to catch up. And then if I would tweet something and then, you know, people would reply and I would reply back, I would need another 15 minutes. I would never spend more than an hour on Twitter per day. That's for yeah. sure. I think yeah. on most days, because not even I tweet every day, on most days I would spend like 15 minutes to catch up and that would be nice. That would be okay. So like a couple of times per day, a few minutes, that would be enough. But since they switched to the Facebook style, we want to keep you here as much as we can algorithm. Um, obviously, I'm a human too. So I, I've noticed that I'm spending more and more time on Twitter. Um, that Because I, I'm a grown-up man and I have kids and a, an important job. I don't have all the time in the world to spend on Twitter. But then, you know, you have gaps during the day. And if you're a smoker, you fill these gaps with cigarettes. But if you're not a smoker, but you're on Twitter, you fill these gaps with Twitter. Yeah. I, I realized that this is what I'm doing. Like anytime there's a gap, you know, I, I'm on Twitter. And I have this feeling, well, I had this feeling until yesterday, that I'm never caught up. That there's always something more that I never get to the end. And then uh, on more than a dozen occasions, I was able to figure out that I was not shown uh, something from a person that I follow and yeah. something I would have wanted to see. Uh, but every day, all the time, I'm shown... Can I use curse words in your Oh, phone? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, 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 I'm really emotional about this, by the way. <laughs> my time, my life. So they've been showing me shit that I was actually trying to avoid. And I've been trying to avoid that for literally 12 years. You know, mm -hmm. I don't 
I don't care about Serbian politics. I don't care so much about Slovenian politics. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure about that? <laughs> I, totally. Like, I, I really don't want to care about that. The problem is, is when I see 14 tweets about that, I start caring, you know, and then I start thinking about it and it infects my brain. Uh, and I was really, really uh, uh, diligent in trying to avoid this kind of information. And the old Twitter would let me do that, would let me follow who I want. And um, Yeah, I think Twitter fundamentally changed um, their views of what their users are. Because like, originally it was us and like everyone we followed, we want to follow. And we were um, sort of completionists. Like We wanted to read everything that's there. And I only follow, I think, around 100 people, mm. which is not a lot for a social network. But I really want to know what these people have to say every time. And I get to see that by using like a non-official client with just displays a normal timeline. Yeah. And what Twitter is doing is this algorithmic timeline. It's like, oh, what your friends are tweeting and friends of friends and like, I don't know, everyone. And this is really popular in your circles. And then you get, yeah, like you said, exposed to this um, political tweets that we maybe don't want to see. Yeah, yeah. I think because I've been following Twitter and what's happening on Twitter and with Twitter as a company, um, and I read the book and everything. And I think uh, there was a breaking point uh, some five years ago, I think, or even more, uh, when uh, Eve uh, uh, was the CEO and then they kicked him out and then they brought Jack back. Yeah. And, and I remember the next thing I know, they basically started uh, disconnecting developer community. You know, mm-hmm. the, the API... Uh, while he was there, they had some plans uh, to, for example, add some metadata to tweets and, and to actually expand on what you can do with the API. And then it went the other way, actually. You, you were able to do less with the API and less with your apps. And everything was supposed to move to Twitter. And then gradually, uh, you know, Twitter had to become something uh, like Facebook, yeah. where you can and endless amounts of time so that they can show advertisements. Yeah, which is really sad when you think about it because the whole Twitter ecosystem exists because of the API and third-party apps. Like the word tweet exists because of like the uh, because of other apps. The the bird is like it comes from another app. Yeah. Retweeting functionality also wasn't like a part of the uh, original thing. It came from another app as did like pull to refresh. Even mentions I think were not in the original uh, Twitter architecture like Pretty much the whole Twitter exists because of apps, and now they've completely abandoned them. And that's just, I don't know, it's a disconnect. It was very organic at the beginning, and I liked it. And also, I, I don't think Twitter is a social network. It's maybe an information network, but not a social mm. network. You know, I don't really need to be connected to my friends on Twitter. Uh, but I do want to be connected to people who are totally not my friends or maybe they're not even a person, they are just a news source, for example. So I think it's more of an information source, but, but that's bad, right? Because when you want to inform yourself, uh, you can set up your sources in a way that you're done in 15 minutes. And social networks can just drain all the time because there's always more and more that people are publishing. And, you know, social networks are letting people express themselves, which is nice. People should be able to express themselves, but I should be able to say, I don't want to <laughs> read your expressions. Yeah. 
you know, and Twitter is increasingly not uh, allowing me to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing about Twitter, like the the uh, asymmetric from the ground up. Like you follow someone and they don't have to follow you. Yeah. And um, it's it's like, and you can follow someone not because you agree with them, just because you want to see their views and be like have an informed view why they are an idiot, right? Yes. Uh, exactly. So and and that's completely different from Facebook. So I don't know why they would want to go in the Facebook way in like in like why it it makes no sense i think because i spent some time in in ag tech as you know uh, yeah. i think it's really simple to explain there's a really clear business model how you make money with ads online and if you want to utilize that business model there's a a, a predefined path and you know twitter is walking down that path and that's that's that And we, they just need to make sure there's one metric, you know, eyeballs mm -hmm. plus time. They need to make sure that eyeballs are uh, on their app for maximum amount of time so that they can show ads. And, you know, in Slovenia, where we live, uh, we don't see too many ads. We do see them. But if you go to London or somewhere where the market is more mature, you see many more ads. Mm -hmm. And it's becomes even more clear why they're doing it. So all of this, I'm not even emotional about it. Uh, it's it's like I, I get why they're doing it. Maybe they don't even have a choice, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just saying that's sad because that's not the service that I uh, used to love. Yeah. And I, I think we do need this service. I think that even with all of this crap, it's useful. Uh, and uh, I just want to change the way I'm using it. For now, until they screw that up as well, and uh, I started using List. Somebody from from Twitter actually suggested, and I, I've actually heard uh, recently from quite a few people that they started using Lists. So I've unfollowed everybody, which I know uh, breaks a social, um, you know, rule, yeah. you know, whatever. But I I was thinking about that rule as well. Uh, there's a psychological principle of reciprocity, right? So like, if we know each other. And, you know, I follow you, then you feel obliged to follow me. Mm -hmm. But you can then, like, mute me. Yeah, but that's exactly what I said. What's good about Twitter, you you don't have to. And, um, don't have to. Yeah. yeah. That's right. So I, I, I don't really, I've never held a grudge against somebody who wouldn't follow me. Because I, I really, I don't, I, sometimes I read my tweets and I'm not sure they're useful. And, you know, like, if people don't follow me, I don't hold a grudge. And Twitter is not about that. Twitter is about like you have some interests, follow those interests, interests change over time, you unfollow somebody, follow somebody else. Like yeah. it's like information sources, not actual people who get offended if you're not friends, for example. There's no friendship on Twitter. I really I really hate when people start saying things about Twitter that make it look more like a social network. You know, that it shouldn't be like that. I really believe it shouldn't be like that. Yeah, but this is where they're going, right? So maybe like having a friend functionality on Twitter is like maybe some like coming soon, unfortunately. Well, if they screw up my list, the list is working as Twitter used to work before. And mm. I'm happy. If they screw it up, uh, I'm going to try to find a different way of, of uh, getting my old Twitter back. Uh, yeah, like the way I do it is I use Tweetbot, which is like a third party app. And for now, it still works and uh, it works fine. And it, there is no this algorithmic bullshit. There are no ads, uh, which I would be fine with if they would say like, oh, if you want to use API, you have to show ads. Like I'd be fine with that. But like they just don't show ads. So it's even better. 
even better. So I think uh, this is my next step, probably after this list. I've been lazy for a while. I used to use Tweetbot um, years ago, uh, but I think my next step is going to be some third-party client. Okay, and uh, enough about uh, Twitter rant. Um, you said you have no hobbies, but you are passionate about a lot of things. So that's why I wanted to have you on, because um, <laughs> to bring back Twitter, you have many opinions there, and like often it, they go across very different topics. And um, mm. I don't know, um, do you, is there is there anyone in particular that you feel more strongly about that that you want to discuss it first, or do you just want me to to choose one or? Yeah. So when you when you invited me, uh, as I told you, you made me feel a bit sad because uh, I had to think about the fact that I have no real hobbies. <laughs> and you have hosted some interesting people who have very interesting hobbies that I, like many of them, I didn't even know exist. Um, people or hobbies? <laughs> hobbies. Sorry, hobbies for quite a few people actually knew that they existed. Uh, for for a few, I have to say I didn't, but I was glad to learn about them. Um, so yeah, I'm a boring person, uh, and that was my goal all along. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, that doesn't help somebody like you. <laughs> what do you want to do in life? I want to be boring. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I grew up in uh, Serbia in the '90s. So being boring was our goal. You know, I was. I, I remember uh, after the revolution, uh, the new president, the first democratically chosen president, whatever, had this speech, and he started the speech with. I promise you I'm going to make Serbia a boring country. <laughs> yes, please, like finally, you know. <laughs> so that was sort of my goal from childhood on, to be a boring European middle class. Uh, and yeah, I guess I need some hobbies. Uh, I don't have uh, interesting ones, but uh, I, do, I do basketball because I used to be very serious about basketball when I was younger. I was even a pro for a year. Oh. Yeah, and uh, nowadays I, you know, play recreational basketball, and I mainly play basketball with uh, my son and his friends. And the average age there is eight, <laughs> so I, I always win, and that's nice. Uh, but yeah, I teach them how to play basketball, and uh, that you could call that a hobby. Um, and also, uh, were you a pro for like the the country, or um, like how how long did you play it? So uh, I played, uh, so altogether I played for some eight or nine years, I think. Uh, I played it when I was a teenager. Uh, and in Serbia, as you probably know, they take basketball really seriously. Yeah, so yeah. the moment, the moment you, you step on the court, they have a plan for you. And uh, <laughs> ever since I was a kid, um, they, um, um, you know, they had a plan for me because I was tall, uh, Everybody who met me in person knows that I'm, I'm not just tall, but I'm like, wow, you're really tall, kind of tall. <laughs> so, so they saw that I'm tall and they had a plan and, and I went through different teams. Uh, they, we used to call these selections. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I was just discussing this with my wife the other day that looking back, I think this was really, really useful um, because uh, at a really early age, I went through a um, cruel process of selection every year so and later it was twice per year where you have uh, a bunch of kids who want to play basketball right mm -hmm. they want to play basketball in the best of teams of course uh, because these teams give you the best chance to become a pro one day right yeah so each of these teams has their uh, 
they call it like a youth uh, program. Mm -hmm. You start, let's say you start at uh, 11 or 12 and everybody can start at 11. But then like one year later, they make the first selection, as they used to call this. And they just, and the selection is really cruel, especially if you consider that these are kids. So basically our coach would uh, just uh, call us up uh, while at the practice, he would gather us uh, and he would just uh, uh, read a list of kids who can continue and everybody else would not be able to come back anymore. Right. And what was cruel about it, obviously, is that you're a kid and you've made friends here and now all of a sudden your friend is asked to not show up anymore. Like they're not welcome anymore here. Like they didn't pass. And I went through this process like over and over again as a kid. And you said you, you're happy that that happened to you. But um, as, a, as a team lead, a company owner or whatever, would you do the same in, in your company? Do you think this is like actually beneficial to do to people? I think, it, I think it's exactly the same, mm -hmm. you know. And even though it's not romantic, um, I think when people actually understand, for example, that a team is a team, it's not a family, it's not a group of friends, uh, people, you know, establish relationships. And that's nice. And like if you work with somebody eight hours every day for, for you know, a few months, not to mention a few years, you will have established a relationship with this person. And if this person quits or, or gets fired, obviously there's going to be some pain. But I think if you just understand that this is how it works and that this is not necessarily bad for for that person and for the team that you're in, um, it's it, I think that's better. And I think over time, this is what happened to us when we were kids practicing basketball we just understood that look this is not a reason to cry about like of course many kids did cry but uh i think the price was worth paying because mm -hmm. we all learned that you know there's no i don't want to sound too libertarian here because i'm definitely <laughs> not i promise i'm not a libertarian but at the same time i wouldn't like for example uh, when i Think about it today. Would I like my kid to grow, go through the same process? Yes, I would. Because I would like my son to learn that, you know, you need to try hard and, and be one of the best. You don't have to be the best, but try to be, you know, amongst the successful ones. And, you know, if, if you manage that, then you can continue. I, I think there's a balance between uh, whatever you do, uh, things are going to be fine and you need to work yourself to death to achieve yeah. spot, you know so there's a balance in between like if you work harder than somebody else uh, then you might you know pass this selection and then there's going to be a next one and a next one yeah one thing is like working hard and like doing being good at what you do and trying to get better mm. is something else to be this like hustle porn or just like hustle just because just to say that you're hustling that you're working your ass off even though that probably might not be beneficial in in the long run i agree you know i think i think i'm actually happy maybe it's just my perception but i think the common understanding of you know the masses is moving towards what you just said i sure hope so yeah being somebody who hustles who's busy all the time like uh, who who takes pride in overworking himself to death and not spending time with their friends and family i think this culture 
is already stigmatized. And I'm glad about it. Yeah, I think it is stigmatized, especially in Europe and in our circles. But I, I see it like very prevalent still in, in US and especially like San Francisco or, or areas like that where it's really like men against men and they, they beat people against each other. Yeah. And the people who do that, they're on the sides just like salvaging whatever they produce. They They don't they are not involved in that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I actually lived in the US for a year when I was younger. And uh, I was obviously smart enough to realize this. Uh, and uh, I decided that I don't want to live in the US anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so that's definitely part of their culture. And it's definitely not part of the European culture. I think in Europe, we often have the problem of the opposite extreme where we just where many people think that they don't have to try hard about anything you know and that, that things will just be solved magically yeah but by their government yeah by the government by your family by whoever you know and they just feel that like the the good times belong to them uh, and i was maybe lucky in a way to be raised in a country that was Uh, you said I can curse, but like pretty fucking far from good times, you know. Especially in the 90s. Especially in the 90s, it was one of the worst parts of our history and nothing was to be taken for granted. And when you grow up in an environment like that, uh, you can't just feel uh, that, you know, even if I don't move a muscle, things should stay fine. Like, no, I have proof that they do not stay fine. Uh, so I think what what... Well, to come back to basketball, right, um, I think what I was taught uh, in my um, teenage years is that you do have to try. So you don't, maybe you're not going to be the best. Actually, more than likely, you're not going to be the best, the best, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, but if you do try as hard as you can, you will get something out of it. And I think even though I'm not an NBA player today, which was the plan, uh, um, I, I did get a lot out of basketball, you know. And uh, I think it, it's helping me with my work, definitely. And how, how far were you from the NBA selection or NBA draft? Pretty, pretty, pretty far, Micha, let me tell you. Actually, <laughs> it was like this, right? So I, I played uh, in Serbia. And when I was 17, so no, even 16, I was 16 years old when they put me in the, in the uh, we call that the A-team. So I was playing for a team that was... Um, in the middle of the table of the first league. Right. Uh, I don't know how you would translate, but like the first Serbian league, and it was the Adriatic League as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, these are like serious basketball players. Uh, quite Like quite a few, of, not quite a few, but a few of my uh, friends from the time uh, ended up in the NBA, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, and the thing is... Um, It was, yeah, it was really serious. And they put me with the A team and I was getting, you know, <laughs> beaten up every practice. But uh, after that uh, experience, I was 17 and I went to the U.S. to finish high school, right? And uh, my, my host in the U.S. took me to an NBA game. And I was at my first NBA game when I was 18 years old. And because uh, this was just another NBA game in Cleveland, yeah. Um, I was able to approach the court and, you know, I was looking at some of the stars that I was, some of the stars that I was only, you know, looking at uh, uh, on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
um, I was looking at them like from a few meters away, right? Like Sean Kemp, for example, who was one of my role models. He was like right there. And I was looking at them as they were uh, preparing for the game. And I remember thinking, um, yeah, I'm never going to play in NBA. <laughs> <laughs> because they were like aliens compared to me. Like, you know, I think it's really important to tell your kids uh, when they're, you know, uh, that it's really hard to be the best and you know you shouldn't um I'm, I'm it's the balance that we were just talking about you shouldn't tell them that they can't be the best because that's wrong you should teach them to always work hard and like do their best mm-hmm. but i think if if your only expectation is li- in life is for example to become an nba player then you're into some bruising you know you're you're probably going to be hurt because it's really hard to get there. I, I, there. There are so many things that need to align for you to. And there are so few spots, right? Like the, it's it's really hard to get somewhere that's like so desired. Yes. Um, if if like it's hard, probably it's it's probably very hard to tell this to a kid. But it's it's better to find your own niche, for a lack of a better word, uh, in the world, than it is to go somewhere where everyone wants to go. Yes, I'm still struggling with this myself because I need to teach, you know, two children how to approach life. So I'm probably going to screw that up, but you know, <laughs> hoping I'm not going to screw that up too much. Like my, my parents definitely weren't putting a lot of pressure on me. Um, you know, their, their approach was sort of uh, along the lines of what I'm trying to do. It's like, yeah, you shouldn't you know, think that by sitting still, you're going to get anything from life. But at the same time, you shouldn't believe that you're the only acceptable destiny for you is, you know, all-star weekend uh, in NBA. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm going to try to do something else. My son is obviously going to be very tall and he loves basketball. And uh, I just make sure to tell him, like when we're watching a game, for example, you know, like to be, to play like this guy right here, you know, we were just watching the, the, for example, the Serbian national team uh, because the World Cup is on. Yeah. And I, I tell him, like, to play like this guy, like, you don't know what hardships you have to endure. Like, it's not something that just happens. Like, this, this guy had to, you know, be somewhere probably like eight hours every day yeah. for years and years to be able to play on that level. Like, it's not something that's going to happen to you just by occasionally throwing a few baskets in front of your house. Yeah. Plus, they often have to go, like, at the really young age, they have to go in a very unknown territory. Like, I, I'm familiar with the story of uh, Andrzej Kopitar, which is, like, an NHL player from Slovenia. And, like, he had to go at, like, at 15, I think, he went to Sweden. Like, he didn't know the language. He didn't know anyone there. He just had to move there if he wanted to progress in his career. Yes, and you also see that in basketball players that like move to to Barcelona or whatever, um, where again they don't speak the language, they don't know anyone there, and it's it's not just hard like physically, it's hard mentally yeah. to succeed. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think uh, when I look back, um, like I was you know thirteen, fourteen years old, still a kid, and coaches were telling me what to eat. Uh, they were telling me. Um, to be honest, uh, I remember this one occasion when there was a school trip, and you know everybody loves school trips, especially if you're a teenager and yeah. uh, God forbid you're in love with somebody. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to go to the school trip, but the coach just goes, "No, no, no, you have games. Like school trips are not for you." And when you think about this, this was like you're 14, 15 years old. Um, 
as a parent, to be to be honest, I would have second thoughts nowadays. But that's just how it is. Like if you choose this approach at an early age and you want to do your best at a certain category, uh, as you said, you might even have to leave the country at 13, like Luka Doncic, you know, or mm-hmm. um, or Andrzej Kupiter. So, so I'm not saying that's wrong. I think I think uh, whatever happens, like even if you don't become one of the top hundred people in the world in that category, whatever that category is. I think you still get something out of that experience. You know, you still get something that's going to be useful in other categories that you're going to be part of. And are there any specific like lessons that you now apply to your kids other than telling him like this takes a lot of work to be on this level? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, th- that's a lesson that I hope my son will eventually get because for now, to be honest, it kind of... <laughs> <laughs> It kind of feels he's not really getting that lesson. It's too early to say. Uh, but um, I think one of the lessons is it's it's not just like how how much you work, but but how you work, right? So it, it, it's it's really important who your coach is. You know, you can yeah. spend you know four years with one coach and four years with another coach, and the results are going to be distinctly different. Uh, so I, I guess one of the lessons that I'm trying to teach my son is like you need to use your head. You can't just like do what everybody else does or do the first thing that's available. You need to always like stop and have a have a think. And like even practicing basketball, you know, or uh, to be honest, this applies to everything, to programming, to to anything. I bet you know any hobby that uh, has been presented in your podcast uh, can be better if you think about it and you know choose the, the smart approach yeah 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 there's that um saying about ten thousand hours of practice or whatever but um what it was and later found it it's not just practice it's deliberate practice like you have to know what you're practicing not just like oh i'm gonna play the violin and then magically overnight i'm gonna get good no like you have to be really really dedicated for ten thousand yeah. hours yes that's 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 the gist of it right so like when my son goes out and starts throwing the basketball vaguely towards the basket uh i'm i'm glad he's doing it but i always make a point of saying but you know you need to also practice the the defense and um you know the switches and all of these elements of basketball you need to know them you need to study the game you know if you want to become good at it you know and and that's kind of the, the other message you know yeah and um um, yeah, I guess it applies to everything as well. Yeah, I, I wanted to say there are probably quite a few lessons. Um, many of them I probably can't even, um, you know, distinguish because they have become so natural to me. Yeah. Uh, but we, when I try to analyze it, the moment I try to analyze it, it takes like 10 seconds and I, I uh, immediately see a parallel with something that happened to me as I was practicing basketball. Mm-hmm. And are there any parallels like between um, running a company uh, or like running a team of of programmers of of people uh, to like these are adults, so obviously it's it's different. But are are there any things that like are the same or similar in guiding a team to be successful versus like raising a kid? Um, well, it's interesting. I think. Um when you become a parent, you realize that management and parenting have a lot in common. Uh, and and then you also realize that coaching, for example, uh, in, in basketball or any other sport, I guess, has also a lot in common with parenting and management. But they're definitely not um, 
the same. They're not like clear parallels. They're, they're just some things that are that are the same or or vaguely similar. And but there are some things that are definitely not. And and I think it's really important to know that. Uh, so for example, uh, I've mentioned a thing that's similar with basketball teams and for example, let's say engineering teams. Mm-hmm. Um, we are a team. You know, of course, I had like great relationships with my uh, teammates in basketball. I have great relationships with my teammates um, now, you know, on my engineering team. But are we a family? No. You know, like maybe some of us will become so close that we will almost be a family. But uh, when we're doing our work or when we when we're playing the game, we're a team and there are rules, you know, there are rules that we all need to obey. And not, nobody's special and nobody should be special. Yeah. Um, so th- these are the parallels that I like. But at the same time, uh, when you're running a basketball team, for example, you're dealing, first of all, with people who have been um, uh, clearly focused on one goal all of their lives. And I can't stress how much this helps you. I can't stress enough how much this helps you as a coach. So you, you have like 10 uh, little kids all dreaming about NBA. Yeah, That's like the, the first thing. Uh, when you're running an engineering team, not necessarily. God knows what they've been dreaming about. You know, mm-hmm. you have people who became engineers just because they want to earn more money. You have people who became engineers because they want to get rich. You have people who became engineers, but they're not really clear that was a good idea. Like myself, for example. Like to this day, I question my decision to become a programmer. Like mm-hmm. was, was I really into programming? I it almost feels like it happened as an accident, you know? So, so you have like all of these different goals that you need to align yourself. Like they're not automatically aligned for you. And another thing that's, for example, quite different um, in basketball and, and in, in like, I'm going to focus on engineering teams, but I guess this applies to many other teams as well. Okay. It, it's the metrics. Um, in basketball, you have really clear metrics, and every team has the same metrics, you know, like the, the rules have been written for ages. And, um, you know, even during the game, your coach can always read the stats and go, well, you had these many rebounds and, and you had you didn't have enough offensive rebounds, for example. And you need to focus on that. And you can compare your numbers to to any other player in the world and, you know, get a sense of your progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, on an engineering team, you don't have this. And actually, it's really dangerous to try to introduce metrics. Uh, yeah, because like what what gets measured gets uh, uh, what is the expression? Uh, like basically, you focus only on the things you measure, and uh, the the problem is then that everything else suffers. And um, let's say it's really hard to measure uh, relationship with people that like you you maintain with your teammates, and they have to be good, otherwise there is no team teamwork. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I I think you hit the nail on the head. So you, you get you tend to focus on what you're measuring and in basketball that's fine because the game is constrained the game is pretty fine and you don't really uh, need to measure much more than you know the metrics that have been there for hundreds of years by now mm-hmm. but you know on engineering teams creative teams it's not a zero sum game first of all like like sports and there are so many different things that uh, affect performance and performance of an individual team performance uh, company performance and i don't think um you know it would be wise to to treat it as a sports team yes there are some elements especially in culture 
that are similar to sports teams, but uh, the whole thing is definitely not a sports team. You know, that's that's how I perceive it. And you also mentioned parenting. I think um, it's like on the opposite side, right? So you're developing your kids. I think what parenting teaches you is that there are really important uh, things in your life uh, where you can't expect quick results. So like I, I can't, you know, try to be a good father to my kid today. And then at the end of the day, I open an app and app tells me, oh, today you were eight out of 10 fathers <laughs> or doing good. You know, <laughs> it's, it's more like you need to do something that you believe in and you have no idea whether you're failing or not right. or succeeding. Or not. You just need to have faith that at the end you you'll do good. Right. Yeah. There's no NPS score that the kid can give you. Totally. Yeah. But <laughs> every now and then something happens that tells you that you're doing a good job. And then you go to your room and you cry a little bit. You know? <laughs> um, so this happens, you know, this doesn't happen every day. This doesn't even happen every week. But every now and then, you know, your kid does something and, and you're trying to hide from him that you're so super proud. Of course, you, you tell him. You always tell the kid that you're proud, right? That you just, I guess, you shouldn't tell him that all the time because then he takes it for granted. But... Uh, <laughs> But when that happens, like I usually get very emotional. And I think this is the same as with teams, you know, like um, I'll give you an example. For example, yeah, uh, I, most of the time I believe that I'm a sucky manager. I, <laughs> why do you why do you think that? Yeah, because that, it, that's how it feels like <laughs> management, just like parenting. Like most of the time you feel like, oh, I'm screwing up that kid. Um, <laughs> and in, in, in management, it's like, yeah, I totally like not... Um, helping my team or I'm totally, you know, I totally didn't pick the right, for example, engineers for this team or I totally didn't. And there, there are millions of questions where you're like questioning yourself. But then every now and then something happens and, and I'll, I'll give you an example. So I was on a vacation, right? And um, my last day of vacation, I always do the same thing. I open Slack and I go to support channel and I just start reading um everything that's been happening for the past week, you know, and I see like people from other teams having issues and I see programmers from my team um, jumping in, solving their issues, you know, answering questions, being mm -hmm. friendly, um, all of them as a team, you know, and I, I get this moment that I was just talking about. I get this moment, fuck, I have done something right, you know, mm -hmm. like obviously I'm doing something right. Otherwise, like, situations like this wouldn't happen and um so i guess that's like the biggest parallel between parenting and and, and management that it makes you cry <laughs> yeah it does. well management no like for now uh, <laughs> i'm not that emotional about you know uh job but uh yeah you know it it, 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 it does get emotional though it does get emotional every now and then and that's nice you know uh but yeah, it, it, there's a distinct difference between that um, activity, such as management or parenting, and you know, being, for example, a programmer who fixed the bug. You know, yeah. you fix the bug and you get Im immediate dopamine effect. Like, oh, I did something right, obviously because the bug is not there anymore. Or a basketball player who you know has a great game, for example, you know, he scored a triple double. Obviously, you know, he did good. Mm -hmm. Instant feedback and instant feedback. I think people who are not managers or parents or coaches uh, 
should really learn to appreciate instant feedback because you don't really get instant feedback in, in these uh, categories, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I wanna I wanna change gears a bit and also touch something else that you are pretty vocal about, and I wanna know why, and that's like politics. Why are you so involved in it, or why do you like? Um, why do you need? Well, I don't know. Why do you have the need to express your opinion when, like, obviously, uh, it's not going the way you or we want? It's just like we have no, or you have no effect. You know that there is no politician reading your Twitter and like, oh yeah, this is what we should do. Like, no one is doing that. So why do you keep keep doing it? Why do you keep expressing the opinion? So, well, on that note, actually, this is what I used to think. But recently, I've uh, been told that, in fact, some politicians or people involved in local politics actually did read my tweet every now and then. And um, Oh, okay. So, so, so that's... Um, I actually started writing this column for a popular financial uh, newspaper in Slovenia. Um, and I think, well, let me start with answering your question. So why do I think it matters? So, uh, like, I don't, I don't like to keep coming back to this, but it's inevitable. So I grew up in Serbia in the 90s, right? So mm -hmm. I, actually I was born in Yugoslavia and then it fell apart. And I remember, because I was, I was nine years old, and my dad uh, had a salary of 1,000 Deutschmarks at the time. And when I was 10 years old, his salary was 50 Deutschmarks. And when I was 11 years old, his salary was four Deutschmarks. Jesus. Uh, and yeah, and uh, when I was, when I was uh, nine, uh, uh, there were no tanks on my street and when I was 10 there were tanks on my street and it's just like if, if these are like your first memories from life uh, there's one thing you don't take for granted and that's everything you know like I enjoy my life in Slovenia like my life in Slovenia especially a family my family life um, is is everything I always wanted to have you know as a grown-up mm -hmm. but I have a bug that most people here don't and that's I don't believe for a second that we can take this for granted because I've seen it happen right and uh, that's why I'm always unfortunately going to be extremely interested in politics and what's happening and trying to predict shit that's about to hit the fan because I really don't want to go through that or to be more precise, I don't want my kids to go through that because I've been yeah. through that. Yeah. So the, the, that's, that's the main motivation really. And if, if uh, anything good has happened in the past two or three years, it's that many people around the world have learned this lesson that we can't really take anything for granted and that you do need to be politically active. Politics is uh, a bad word. Right. And if you don't have to, you usually choose not to go into it. But I think we need to learn that the only way to, you know, shape a society in any meaningful way is to be somehow involved in politics, to, you know, maybe just tweeting about it is something, but maybe even go beyond that if you can. That would be uh, that, that, that's mainly my message, you know, and I'm definitely not a powerful person. You know, I'm not somebody who can who can change, uh, make like tectonic shifts. But if I can contribute, you know, with a magazine article or 
by donating some money to some journalists or whatever. You know, I will do that. But like in an era where we are now, where it seems like that every day there's shit hitting the fan, as, as you said, when media is trying to make like everything a big deal, how do you know when something really is a big deal? Or how do you know when they're not just like pushing some shit in the fan so they can do something behind and we don't see it because that just like they're distracting us with, with stuff so they can push their own agenda behind it? My, my personal opinion is that increasingly media can't hide anything from you. I think this used to be the case 10 years ago and especially 20 years ago when I was when I was a teenager I, I was able to see with my own eyes that media is lying you know mm-hmm. I switch on the TV and I hear that X is happening I go down to the street and I see that X is not happening or vice versa I mean you say it's not happening but look at Fox News for example like not not to bring any spotlight to them even more but like they're obviously making stuff up and i mean there are like there are many of media outlets making stuff up all the time no of course but they're no different than uh, a person who's you know pushing conspiracy theories on twitter or facebook or whatever nowadays if you want to know something if you really want to know something information is available to you you're not in the dark Uh, i was for example when i was a teenager i was in the dark i was there were, there were no media outlets that would tell me the truth. And uh, nowadays, that's simply not the case. Like, even if you're in China, if you really, really want to learn what's going on in the West, there are technical ways to do that. So um, I think what we have today is the opposite. It's like there's so much information out there that people choose to shape their own reality. You know? And it's something that's been facilitated by us, by IT people, you know, yeah. by, by programmers. And I personally believe that that's why programmers literally need to be involved in politics. They literally need to be, you know, socially more responsible, if you will. And, you know, I'm coming back to the beginning in your question. Why do you do all this? Why do you not tweet only about IT, for example? And why do you tweet about politics as well? Well, that's one reason, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think that, that software people understand the future better than than. Uh, the average person, you know, I, I'm, I'm not uh, trying to, you know, sound superior here. I just think that <laughs> that's a simple fact that if you spend, if you've spent the last decade uh, developing software, uh, you probably get what the future holds slightly better than somebody than somebody who hasn't done that, and uh, th- that's also where I feel the responsibility comes from. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Just this morning, uh, my personal trainer mm-hmm. asked me about password management. Oh, wow. You know, and, okay. Yeah. And he said, well, how should I manage my passwords? Because, you know, now I have a file where I keep all my passwords. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then the next question was, but Rod, I'm just a measly personal trainer from a village in Slovenia. Who would be interested in my passwords? And, you know, you have to explain. I think it's our duty because if, if you've done anything in IT for a few years, you know what somebody can do to a personal trainer and, and their passwords. And not, not, not him, but, you know, and I had to explain. Look, like, if somebody breaks into your email and, and they can, you know, uh, assume your identity, then I think that they are you and then they can do something to me. And, and, and you know, you could see his eyes uh, swollen up. <laughs> So basically, I think this is one small example of why we have to take 
responsibility and algorithms such as the one used at Twitter and YouTube and, and Facebook are another much bigger example where you have to explain to your grandma that, you know, somebody can write an algorithm to make her angry. Yeah. Know? And people yeah. don't get this. People, people see my mom, my mom is 80 years old, for example, and uh, she, she's used to, you know, learning the truth on TV. So when, mm -hmm. when we bought her a tablet and she's now reading news on her tablet, she thinks that everything is true by default. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I wanted to to bring up. That yeah, of course you and me know that like, and there is a way to find the truth. But to me, it seems like the the general media is now pushing agenda to to people, and they don't know that. Like people don't know that. People don't realize to what extent this is happening. I think there have always been agendas that have always been pushed by the media, and I think this is normal. Uh, I'm I'm not um, a utopia, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm not to live in a world where everything is fair and oh yeah yeah everybody's nice to each other so this has always been the case we were just lucky that the bar of entry was so high that you know only the richest of the richest were able to manipulate us whereas today you know literally you and me can manipulate somebody online if we choose to um and i think we commoditized media manipulation and that's what's happening to us and yes quite a few like if you had like two or three players 20 years ago who were pushing their agendas. Today, you have probably millions of players pushing their agendas, some of them bigger, some of them smaller. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people really need to learn, because I really have no better idea, uh, but people really need to figure this out and learn that, you know, um, you need to have critical thinking. Yeah. And you need, you need to understand how algorithms work, even if you're not a programmer, yeah. because they affect your life. So I think this is the responsibility that programmers should assume. Mm -hmm. So that we should be the ones educating people that like algorithms exist, and the the reason YouTube recommends you those videos is because they that's what they want you to see. Yes, yes. I think I think if if we try to summarize it, you know, from the beginning, I think we owe it to the society to be a politically active, to do the best of our ability. Like for some people, it may be just tweet occasionally about it or donate to some journalists or you know if if you have more power not to say more money then donate to certain political parties even or you know start your own political party uh, even if it's not your favorite party if you have a way of influencing how the society is balanced then try to exercise your influence don't just you know sit in your villa and sip your champagne and, <laughs> and be angry on Twitter how everything is going straight to shit because I can tell you it certainly can go to shit and once it goes to shit you're not going to enjoy it either so I, I think in, a, in, in summary like software people who usually have more insight more money and, and altogether more power than the average person do owe to the society to be more active um in in politics because unfortunately politics is the only way you can shape the society right yeah and um i i think that's uh, as, as perfect of a sentence of any as uh, to end this discussion <laughs> let's not talk about politics please yeah <laughs> <laughs> um actually for for the end i want to wrap up as i always do um, and that is like, what would be three things that uh, sort of changed your life and or made like a lasting impression on you? And this can be like books or articles or videos or whatever. I probably mentioned a few. Uh, 
things like you know basketball in general was one of them but i would say like if one thing affected my life and maybe i'm under the impression because i was just watching uh the sad end of uh serbian national team's performance on world cup yeah um but definitely like serbian basketball team is one shiny spot uh in in the shitty 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 balkans that uh has been with me you know since childhood and i've been um i always explain this because i've lived so long in slovenia that people start asking stupid questions like well do you now cheer for slovenia no you know it's not because i don't like you but because you know somebody taught me when i was fucking six years old to cheer for a team and i, I keep cheering for this team and even if i go to japan i'm still going to be speaking serbian to my kids and cheering for the serbian national team so this serbian national team but not for just for the sake of basketball but just because they were a rare example uh, of an entity from the Balkans that was able to achieve something that many people thought would be unachievable, you know, and the way they exercised their power uh, was just so amazing. And, and we were not used to, you know, s somebody from our part of the world exercising such power over much bigger, you know, countries. Yeah. And, Starting from, you know, 1995 when they uh, won the European Championship ever so elegantly. And I literally cried when that happened. And then next time I cried because of basketball was in 2002 when we beat the U.S. Dream Team hmm. in, in the U.S., you know, because the, the World Cup was there. And I was looking at, you know, Reggie Miller, one of the NBA stars that I used to uh, admire when I was a kid. I, I was looking at him on the TV screen, holding his head, not believing what is happening. <laughs> and, and, you know, these moments did definitely shape my life because uh, I, I bet in a weird way that they gave everybody some additional confidence that, you know, it doesn't matter where you start, blah, blah, blah. You know, these things are possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's one that I would name. Um, you said books. Yeah. I read like five books in parallel most of the time. Mm. Some books I read for like two years. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not your average book reader. I do read a lot of books though over time. Um, and I think one book that shaped, that shaped the way I actually now I'm thinking about several books. It's, it's fine. Uh, if I can, if I can name one, uh, the, the first one that, that changed how I perceive my job and, and teamwork mm -hmm. was Peopleware. Um, it, it's a book uh, that had actually several editions, and it was based on research that they did, I think, from 70s and 80s, uh, probably into 90s, about how teams uh, perform in different environments. And... Uh, it based, basically, they went to details such as how many people you should have in a room, how big the room should be, um, how many of these communication paths are established when you add new people to the team, et cetera, et cetera. So that one was kind of my opening into uh, – before I read that book, I was just a programmer, right? And when I did read that book, I started thinking more broadly, like, okay, so it's not just me, like, it's, like, also my team and how we work. And and I think this is how it started with my management path. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the the second book, well, I'll, 
be a bit more romantic here. Uh, <laughs> okay. So there is a book called The Bridge on Drina. The author is Ivo Andrich, right? So he's a, he's a, well, you know, some claim he's Croatian, some claim he's Serbian, you know, Balkans <laughs> play these games, to be honest. I, like Tesla and all of them, right? Yeah, I really don't care. You know, I really don't care. <laughs> like, whatever he was, he was a genius. And he, he wrote this book and he actually received the Nobel Prize for it. So uh, I had to read this book just like every other, uh, you know, kid in Serbia uh, in uh, high school. Uh, and I didn't really like reading in high school. What I liked to do in high school was play basketball. Um, but uh, this book I read, and I remember it, it left like a powerful impression on me. So much so, in fact, that I named my kid Evo. Oh. Um, and the reason, the reason why is because I got this... Uh, the, 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 the book is about uh, the part of Bosnian history um, under the Turkish rule and as it was transitioning from the Turkish rule into annexation by Austria. And um, it, it's actually uh, centered around one bridge that was built by a Turkish official who actually used to be Serbian when he was a kid, but Turks had this process of kidnapping kids and taking them to Turkey and turning them into Turks. Like I'm, I'm really not doing it justice, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying to make it, you know, as approachable to a broad audience. So basically, when he came back uh, decades later as a and as a Turkish, uh, actually the second the second most important person in the Turkish Empire, Ottoman Empire, uh, he built a bridge. And book is about this bridge. Everything that's been going on around this bridge. And as you're reading all of these stories, which are really specific, you know, about certain people, certain events that happen next to the bridge and, and, and in a place next to, close to the bridge and whatever, mm -hmm. uh, you start to get the point, you know, that because the whole book is about how history is happening and everything passes and, you know, everything, um, you know, there's a song called This Too Shall Pass. And that's, I think, the transience is the key uh um, um, concept of that book and everything but the bridge uh, basically disappears over time and uh, I kind of loved it, I don't know in which way because it's like half romantic, half uh, serious, but this concept of transience, that everything passes that nothing right now matters so much because you know the history is unrolling and uh, nothing lasts forever etc. Et was so well uh, captured in that book that I feel it also left a big impression on me. So that's a, uh, I'm going to end it with these two books, but there are probably quite a few others. Um, no, this is, this is great. Uh, I think this is, uh, as far as recommendations goes, this is really good. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not the best person to recommend books, but uh, I'm not a big book reader, but if, Actually, to be honest, maybe if I tell you a book is good, given that I don't really read so much, um, the book is probably good. You know, <laughs> probably good books then. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, thank you, thank you, Rod, uh, so much for for being a guest. Uh, this was uh, this was really fun. Thank you, Mika, for inviting me. And anytime. <laughs> it was a pleasure. With that, yeah. Thanks again, and uh, goodbye. Bye bye. All right. This was my interview with Rod. I would love if you would share this podcast with your friends and followings on your social mediums of choice. Retweet, like, repost, whatever. Every action helps. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, please post a review there. 
And if you're using a different app like Breaker, Overcast or anything else that supports liking or favoriting, I'd appreciate your action there very much. You can also financially support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash That's patreon.com slash P-A-R-P-A-S-P-O-D or open the show notes and follow the Patreon link there. Thank you. You can find this show on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We are at Parpaspot on all of them. All the links from this episode are in the show notes and on our website, parallelpassion.com slash 35. Thank you for listening and have a passionate day. Rondo, you best soon, said the